you'll find your place in your Bible with me at Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, and I'm talking to you today about a grateful heart, Luke chapter 17. There's a funny story about a woman who went into a pet store to get some food for her cat. You know how we love our pets, and we want to make sure that they're given the very best food that we can possibly give them. Well, as she walked in the pet store, uh, there was a parrot that was perched in the front of the store. That's where he stayed uh, most of the time. And as this woman walked in the door and walked past that parrot, that parrot squawked and then said, you know, you're the ugliest woman I have ever seen. Well, you can imagine that she was shocked and outraged. She couldn't even be certain that she had heard what she thought she heard. And so she turned to that parrot and she said, what did you say? And that parrot squawked again and that parrot said, you know that you are the ugliest woman I have ever seen. <laughs> well, this woman was irate. I mean, she was incensed that this parrot would say such a thing to her. So she wanted to find the manager of the store. And after a few moments, he came out from a back room in the store where he'd been working. And he said, yes, ma'am, can I help you? And she went on to explain what had taken place and what this parrot in the front of the store had said to her when she came in, that she was the ugliest woman that he had ever seen. Well, the manager was just so apologetic. I'm so sorry. I apologize to you. I, I, I hate that for you. I am so sorry. Ma'am, I will take care of this. So the manager goes to the front of the store and takes the parrot from its perch and takes it back into that back room. And for the next few minutes, uh, he works that parrot over. I mean, he gives that parrot what for. He smacks the parrot around, gives that parrot a piece of his mind, reprimands the parrot. And then he takes the parrot and puts it right back on that perch where he had been at the front of the store. And certainly, the parrot seemed repentant, at least as far as parrots can look repentant. He looked repentant. In a little while, this lady was ready to leave the store. She walks back toward the front of the store and walks past that parrot. The parrot looks sort of contrite. Its beak and its head are down. and Feathers are ruffled where it's been worked over a little bit for what he had said earlier. And as the woman walks by this parrot with a rather smug look on her face, the parrot says, hey, you. And the woman turns and says, what? And the parrot, looking with just one eye, turns toward her and says, you know. <laughs> you know, there's certain things that we wish we could forget, aren't there? like a parrot telling you that you're the ugliest person that he's ever seen, or maybe the image that you saw in the mirror this morning when you got up, and it's just one of those images that you can't get out of your mind. There's things that we wish that we could forget, but there's also things in life that we never want to forget. There are things that cause us to be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving when we stop and we think about those things, but we have trouble, don't we? at least I do, have trouble remembering sometimes, sometimes paying attention to the good things that happen, happen in life. And even when we see them and we experience them, somewhere along the way our mind slips us and we, we don't remember. Matter of fact, I heard that there are three things that you're going to definitely forget as your age advances. One of them is faces, the other is names, and the other is... 
I know there's something else. Well, you get the idea, don't you? It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to have all of these benefits and all of these blessings that come to us and somehow in the course of time with the busyness of what's going on or maybe just the passing of years, we fail to remember to give thanks to God. And today we want to make sure that we take time and we give thanks to the one who has been so gracious to us and who has benefited us in so many incredible ways. Today we're looking at a story in Luke chapter 17 that deals with a Samaritan man. I think it's interesting as you think about the gospel stories and the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, which is a continuation, if you will, of the gospel stories. I think it's interesting how often Jesus brings us to a character who is a Samaritan. If you didn't know this, let me just remind you that the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. And there was a number of reasons for that. One is that they were ethnically a mixed race. They were a Gentile Jewish mixed race. And they had a compromised, idolatrous, pagan religion that the Jews considered to be heresy. They had established their own place of worship on Mount Gerizim. You know, Mount Zion is where the temple of the nation of Israel is found, but on Mount Gerizim is where the Samaritans said you were supposed to worship, and they claimed that Moses had told them that that was the original place where the Israelites were to worship. They had their own unique first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Matthew, excuse me, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had their own unique version of those five books, and they discounted all of the other writings of the prophets, all of the Jewish traditions. They discounted all of those things, and they saw themselves as the true descendants of Israel, as the preservers of true religion. And that the Jerusalem temple and all of the Levitical priesthood and all of the other things that went with it were just illegitimate. So just hearing about the Samaritans, you begin to get an understanding of why there was a dislike, not just from the Jews toward the Samaritans, but from the Samaritans toward the Jews. But you realize that Jesus telling those stories is also telling us something very, very important. The fact that Jesus would bring to our attention stories in the New Testament about the Samaritans is telling us something very, very important. Some of those stories that stand out, there's four of them specifically that stand out about Samaritans. One of them is about the Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, you remember Jesus and the disciples had been traveling. They were going through Samaria. They had been traveling for a long time, and Jesus sat down on Jacob's well and the disciples went into town to buy food in Sychar. And while they were gone, a woman comes out to draw water from the well. And Jesus engages her, this Samaritan woman, in a conversation about water. And she says, uh, he says to her, I can give to you living water. And if you'll drink of this living water, you'll never thirst again. Well, that had her interest because every day she's going back to that well, Jacob's well, over and over again to get water to be able to sustain life. You can give me living water and I'll never thirst again. And of course, ultimately, Jesus leads that Samaritan woman to faith in himself and leads a whole host of the Samaritans out of that city to faith in himself. There's a second 
well-known story about a Samaritan. It's called the Good Samaritan. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's the story of a, a Jewish man who's on his way to Jericho. He gets stopped and beaten up and robbed and left to die along the side of the street. The two Jewish religious men, a priest and a Levite who come by, look at him, but they pass on by. They don't want anything to do with it. And the hero of the story is not a Jewish individual. It's a Samaritan. That Samaritan goes over to this Jewish man for whom he should have had dislike, but nevertheless goes over to this Jewish man and ministers to him, pours in oil to help with the wounds that he suffered, puts him on the back of his own animal, takes him down to an inn, and pays all of the expenses for this man to be taken care of. I mean, that's an incredible story about a Samaritan in the middle of these Jewish gospels, in the, in the middle of this advancing Jewish cause as Jesus is with them. There's this story that we're going to read about in just a moment that I like to call the other good Samaritan. And then there's a fourth story that's found in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, about the baptism of the Samaritans. Uh, when the gospel came to uh, the nation of Israel, they were, there were 3,000 on the day of Pentecost that received Christ and that were baptized. The number just kept growing. And the gospel ultimately goes to the Samaritans, and then finally it goes to the Gentiles. But when it went to the Samaritans, the Jewish church had heard that the Samaritans had received the gospel, that they had believed on Christ, that they'd even been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they hadn't yet received the Spirit of God. This is a transitional period. And they send down some of the apostles down to the Samaritans to see what's going on. And they find out that, in fact, they have believed on Jesus and they have been baptized and they put their hands on them and they receive the Spirit of God. And can you imagine why that would be important? As it will be for the Gentiles a little later in the book of Acts. You know why that's important? Because he was saying, God was saying, these Samaritans belong to the family of God just like you Jews belong to the family of God. They have experienced the same thing that you have experienced, and you're all a part of this one body. And so you find these four prominent stories about Samaritans in the gospel stories and in the book of Acts, and that's no accident that Jesus would do such a thing as that because Jesus was always concerned for those that were the outcast, Right? He didn't care what the religious people thought. He didn't care what they uh, said about what he was doing. The fact of the matter is he knew that the good news was supposed to reach every single person. And you will find Jesus throughout the Gospels healing lepers and eating with tax collectors and even speaking and interacting with the Samaritans. He showed compassion to people who were rejected by everybody else. Maybe this is a good moment for me just to stop and ask, let, let us ask ourselves the question, do we accept and reach out to the outcast of our society? Do we reach out to those that nobody else wants anything to, to do with, the ones that are forgotten, the ones that maybe the religious community says stay away from? Do we reach out to them like Jesus reached out to those that were the outcast of his day? Well, one of the outcasts of his day is found here in Luke chapter 17. This man is not only a Samaritan that we're about to read about beginning in verse 11. He is also a Samaritan who has leprosy. 
And lepers were banished from amongst the people. They had to live away from everybody else. They would live in their own colony. You know, misery loves company. And they would live in their own colony together, but they could never, because of the law of Moses, they could never come close to anyone else. They had to stay at a distance. And Jesus tells us not just about the good Samaritan or the Samaritan woman at the well or about the Samaritans that were baptized and became a part of the body of Christ. He tells us about this Samaritan, this other good Samaritan, or if you will today, the grateful Samaritan. Follow along with me beginning in verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, and aren't those beautiful words? Nobody else saw them. Nobody else paid any attention to them. But when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Wow, you never would have expected that. The other nine are apparently Jewish. But this one man that you never would have expected is the one that comes back and gives thanks to God. Verse 17. So when Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not, were there not any found who, re, who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. I want to help you to get a little bit of an understanding of the desperate circumstances that this man finds himself in. He lives on the outskirts of Samaria. He's there with others that are like him who are suffering from leprosy. He can't get near anyone else. He's been banished from everybody else, even from his own family. They can have no contact with him. And it's interesting that on this occasion, rather than Jesus touching this man and healing his body, this leper and healing his body, as he had done on other occasions, Jesus just says to these ten men, I want you to go show yourself to the priests. And while they're on their way, they all ten experience the healing that God can give. But this leprosy that this man and these others are experiencing is something that is devastating to life, socially, religiously, emotionally, financially, and in every other possible way. Just to give you an idea of how bad leprosy was in this day. And by the way, the term leprosy in the, in the, in the Bible covers a number of skin diseases. But leprosy, as we commonly think of it, is something today called Hansen's disease. You can go to the CDC website, and it gives you a description of this kind of leprosy. It says this disease can affect the nerves, skin, eyes, and the lining of the nose. The bacteria attack the nerves, which can become swollen under the skin. This can cause the affected areas to lose the ability to sense touch and pain, which can lead to injuries like cuts and burns. Usually the affected skin changes color and either becomes lighter or darker, often dry or flaky with loss of feeling or reddish due to the inflammation of the skin. If left untreated, the nerve damage can result in paralysis of hands and feet. 
In very advanced cases, the person may have multiple injuries due to lack of sensation, and eventually the body can reabsorb the affected digits over time, resulting in the apparent loss of toes and fingers. Corneal ulcers and blindness can also occur if, if facial nerves are affected. Other signs of advanced Hansen's disease may include loss of eyebrows and a saddle nose deformity resulting from damage to the nose, the nose septum. And it goes on with that kind of description at the CD website, CDC website. And then it comes down to the bottom and it says, each year, about 150 people in the United States, now listen, and 250,000 around the world get this illness. And this is the illness that this man and these other nine that were with him had, this Samaritan had on this day. It was devastating. It was horrible. It's, it's difficult for us to even imagine the difficulty that this man and these other nine had with him, the difficulty that they experienced in their lives, but they heard something. They heard about Jesus. They heard that Jesus had the power to heal. And so against all odds, they braved all of those who would have opposed them getting anywhere near. They got close enough to Jesus where they could cry out with a loud voice and they could cry for Jesus to have mercy on them. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But sadly, only one of those 10 came back to give thanks to Jesus. Now, before we get too negative about these 10 men, let me just tell you some of the positives about them. They had all heard of Jesus' miraculous power. They all knew that they needed Jesus' help. They all referred to Jesus as master or rabbi. They, they all cried out for his mercy. They all started for the priests. They all believed him before there was any evidence of their healing and they all received his healing. But only one of those ten, a Samaritan of all people, was the one who came back to Jesus to tell him thank you for the grace that he had received and the goodness that God had shown him in healing his body. And that's precisely the point of the story. That the Jews who should have recognized Jesus and should have been thanking Jesus for his very presence amongst them discounted Jesus and wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But this one man who saw the desperation not only of his physical condition, but the desperation of his spiritual condition is the man, the, most least, the least likely of the ten, the man that came back, came back to say thank you to Jesus. Jesus even points out the fact in verse 18 that he's a foreigner. He's a foreigner. And that's why I say to you today that I call this man the other good Samaritan. Or if you will, maybe I should call him the grateful Samaritan. Because out of those 10 men who experienced their healing on that day, this was the only man who returned to say thank you. Before we move on and we make some specific points here, let me just tell you that the story of the Good Samaritan and the Grateful Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, you remember, who took care of the man who was beaten and left to die, and the Grateful Samaritan, the only one of ten with this horrible disease who comes back to thank Jesus, illustrate 
the two commandments that Jesus said were the two most important. The story of the Good Samaritan illustrates the second one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? And this Good Samaritan stops, and he helps this man, and he loves this man who's not even of his nationality, where there would have been animosity under most circumstances, and yet he stops, and he loves his neighbor in spite of the fact that maybe his neighbor held ill will toward him. But this grateful Samaritan, not the good Samaritan, this grateful Samaritan illustrates that first commandment. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And here is a man who's coming back to God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with a heart of gratefulness, and he's pouring out his heart in love for the one who has shown him such incredible grace. And it's just impossible unless you read the stories to fully appreciate how difficult this man's life really was. He didn't forget. I've wondered about the other nine. I've wondered about how this healing took place. Was it instantaneous as they were making their way toward the priest? Is it one step they're leprous and the next step they're healed? Leprosy's gone? Was it something that took place over a period of time, a progression, as they were walking along the way, with each step they began to see the improvement and the healing taking place. I don't know exactly how it occurred, but I know most importantly about this story is that this man didn't forget. You know, he didn't forget. He remembered the one who had shown him this incredible grace. And this man went back to Jesus and fell on his face before Jesus and began praising him with as loud a voice as he had cried out for the mercy of Jesus. He realized that that one characteristic, gratefulness, is the characteristic that comes from the hearts and the minds of people, the lives of people, when they remember what it is that God has done for them. When we forget, when we stop to remember, we, we fail to stop and remember what God has done for us, when we fail to stop and think about the salvation that he has given to us freely, undeserved, we were unworthy, and yet he gave to us freely by faith in him. He gave to us freely the salvation of our eternal souls, Somehow we forget, we fail to remember, we get so busy and distracted and our hearts lose their sense of gratefulness. But when we stop and we start considering what all it is that God has done for us, our hearts begin to fill up. Grateful people are people who never get over Jesus. Grateful people are people who never get over Jesus, and they never get over what he's done for them. They never forget what he's done for them. And only this Samaritan in this story is shown to be grateful. I wonder how many of us will express our gratefulness. I wonder how many of us during this season of Thanksgiving, but really all year long, 
are remembering the goodness and the graciousness of God to us, and we're coming back to him again and again, and we're saying to him, thank you, thank you, thank you for all you've done to us. You know, as much as I want to spend time in that story, there's a passage just before it and a passage just after it where I want to spend the rest of our time. Now that you know the story of this grateful Samaritan, I want you to hear Jesus speaking to his disciples, and then I want you to hear Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and I want you to see two other reasons why people aren't grateful. The first is given in a story that's found just a few verses before the one we've read, chapter 17, beginning in verse 7. Follow along with me. In which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you... When you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's talking about a farmer and his workers. And he's saying that this farmer's workers have done their duty. They have done what they're supposed to do. It's not likely that they're going to be thanked for doing what they were supposed to do. He's not denying here that God rewards his children. That's proven in other passages of scriptures. What he's saying here to the disciples is, don't get the spirit and get the attitude that I deserve to be thanked and I deserve to be rewarded. You know why? Because that very attitude is the entitlement attitude. And where there's an entitlement attitude, the whole spirit of gratitude, the whole spirit of of thankfulness is quickly diminished in our lives. That whole spirit of thankfulness. Don't we live in a world where we feel like we're entitled? Think about your job for a moment. Think about your job. You work all week long, maybe two weeks before you get a paycheck. Maybe some of you paid once a month. You work the whole month. And come the end of the month or come the end of the week or the two weeks, you get a paycheck. You're not so grateful for that paycheck because I have done my job. I have finished the, you know, the projects that were given to me. I have completed the tasks that were assigned to me. I have stayed within the boundaries that they've given to me. I have what? Earned this. And I am entitled to this. What would you do if they didn't pay you? There'd be an uprising, wouldn't there? You might even sue them if they didn't pay you. Why? Because you're entitled to those things. And prior to this story about this grateful Samaritan, Jesus comes to his own disciples and he says to his disciples, you need to stop acting as if you deserve something, as if you are entitled to it. Don't you understand, like this grateful Samaritan, that you didn't deserve anything. He didn't deserve anything. All he was willing to do was come and cry out to the one who possibly could bring healing to his life and graciously, kindly, 
compassionately. Jesus reached out to this man and brought healing to this grateful Samaritans. To my own disciples, this is the spirit you're supposed to be displaying in all of your life. Not an entitlement mentality as if God owes you something, but an attitude that says like those that are the farmer and the workers, we have done what was our duty. I mean, after all, we don't deserve anything from you, but you have been so gracious and so kind and so compassionate to save us and to make us your children. Wherever there's that entitlement mentality, what inevitably results? The absence of thankfulness and the absence of gratefulness in our hearts. And Jesus was teaching his disciples, you've got an entitlement mentality here. You think God owes you something. Now, the fact of the matter is, God's going to reward his children for the works that are done for his glory and for his honor. But do you remember what Revelation 4 says even about those rewards that we receive? It speaks about 24 elders that are around the throne in this heavenly scene in in Revelation chapter 4. And it says that they begin to praise God and they fall on their faces and they take their crowns. That's their rewards. They take their crowns. And what do they do with those crowns? They don't sit on their throne and say, I deserve this. I earned this. Look at me. I'm, I'm rightfully the possessor of this. Do you know what they do with the crowns? They take the crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus because the only one who is deserving of any praise and the only one who is deserving of any honor and glory is Jesus. They don't have it because they were entitled to it. They have those crowns because God was gracious to them. Even the rewards that we earn at the judgment seat of Christ are our rewards because of his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his compassion to us. We can't allow an entitlement mentality to take over the spirit of our hearts. Jesus was saying to his disciples, you are unprofitable servants. We are unprofitable servants. We have done We have done what is our duty to do. If God gives us anything, it is out of his grace to us. It is out of his goodness to us. It is out of his kindness and his mercy to us. It's so opposite of the American mindset. So opposite. And then Jesus teaching his disciples about this how the entitlement mentality destroys gratefulness, turns right around and tells them the story of this grateful Samaritan, the least likely person to have had this kind of mercy and grace given to him, and yet the only one of the ten who was willing to come back because he recognized all that I have, even my healing, is the result of God's graciousness to me. Do you recognize that today? The breath that you have in your lungs, the fact that your heart is beating today, the reality that you have a roof over your head and you have clothes on your back isn't because you were entitled. It is because God has been good to you. It is because God has been gracious to you. It is because God has been compassionate 
on all of us. And aren't we thankful? At the end of this story of the Grateful Samaritan, Jesus speaks to the, to the Pharisees. On the one hand, you have the disciples who were looking in thinking, we deserve this. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You have done what you were supposed to do. Anything you receive from your salvation to the rewards that are given to you are the work of the grace of God alone. But then he comes to the Pharisees in verse 20. Notice what he says. Now, when he, had, he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, now listen, this, their problem wasn't an entitlement mentality. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, please understand what he's saying. He's not saying like I've heard some theologians say that there's a little bit of God in all of us. When he says that it's within you, he means it's within your grasp. It's right here before you. In other words, he's saying that if you receive me, if you put your faith in me and you follow me, I'll bring the kingdom in. But what did they do? What did the Jewish nation do? They rejected Jesus. He came to his own and his own wanted nothing to do with him right? They rejected him. And Jesus is saying here, the kingdom is right here. If you would only receive me, if you would only acknowledge me, I will bring the kingdom in. But here you see the other side of ungratefulness. On the one side, you have those that have an entitlement mentality. On the other side, it's those who look around and say, we don't have what we want yet. We don't have yet what we think we ought to have. We don't yet have all that we want to have. We're still looking for the kingdom to come. They didn't realize that right there in their presence was the king. If you receive the king, the kingdom will come. But they rejected the king, and thus they rejected the kingdom. They couldn't see that right there in their very presence was what they were looking for because they kept looking for something else in a lot of people live discontented lives. They're always looking for something else. They're always looking for something more. They want something that they don't have. They never can stop to realize that right in your own presence is more than enough reason to give thanks to God Amen. himself. Are you with me? Right in your own presence, there's more than enough reason to give thanks to God. We need to be like this Samaritan, this grateful Samaritan, this grateful Samaritan who goes back to Jesus and said, I didn't deserve this. I wasn't worthy of this. This was all of your mercy and your kindness and your compassion to me. We don't want to be like the other nine Jewish men who keep looking for something more and keep looking for something more. There's got to be more to it than this. And miss what is right there in their very midst. They miss the goodness and the graciousness of God that was all around them. Do you realize that we are a people of amazing grace? I didn't say our grace, God's grace. We are a people of God's amazing grace. Let me ask you a question. Where was it that Jesus found you? Where was it? In those moments, do you remember 
thinking how you were a sinner? That if you died in that state, you would be separated from God forever? And you heard the glorious gospel that if you believed in Jesus Christ, you would be born again, you would be made a child of the living God. And that moment, that moment you believed that Jesus' death and resurrection was for you and that eternal life was in him. And in that moment, you became a child of the living God. You weren't seeking him. He was seeking after you. And he is the one who had mercy and grace on you. And now that you've experienced that, are you still looking forward like the Pharisees, not seeing what is right there in your very midst and missing the blessings that God is bestowing on you right here because you keep looking for something more, something more? And you fail to give thanks to God for what he's already done. Wouldn't it have been amazing if the Pharisees had recognized that Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he was the one to bring the Messiah, and they had said to him, we are so grateful to meet our King. How that would have changed things, right? But They couldn't see it. They couldn't see right there in front of them what they should be grateful for because all they could think about is what they didn't have yet. It wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they wanted. They didn't want Jesus like he came in a manger. They didn't want Jesus living amongst them as he lived amongst the common people and reached out to the broken and the outcast. They wanted a conquering king who was going to overthrow the Roman authority and free them from the slavery that they felt to the Romans. And they didn't find it in Jesus, or so they thought. And they wanted something else. You realize an entitlement mentality kills a grateful spirit. And the attitude of, I want something more, it's always got to be something else. There's got to be something more for my life, causes you to lose the spirit of gratitude as well. It's not until we stop and we recognize that everything I have and everything I am is by the goodness and the graciousness of God that I didn't deserve any of it and I'm really not worthy of any of it. I'm not entitled to it, certainly. And there isn't anything else that he ever has to do for me. What he has done for me already is more than I could have ever imagined possible or I could have ever deserved in my life. I am so thankful for his amazing grace. I want to tell you a story. It's the story of a young sailor about a song that you're familiar with, the song Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. He wrote that song in 1779. It's been a long time ago. At that time, he was a preacher in a small church in England, and he was known by the people for his testimony, and he was known by his ministry in glowing terms. But that wasn't how his life always was. He was born in London in 1725, the only child of a sea captain and a church-going mother. She is the one who taught him about the Lord, and she is the one who taught him about going to church regularly. Unfortunately, she died when he was just seven years of age, and his father and his stepmother did little to keep 
this man, uh, John, on the straight and narrow path, and he eventually got into a lot of trouble as he was growing up. The one thing that he never forgot were the lessons that his mother taught him, and ultimately it would be those lessons that would lead him back to God. As a young man, Newton was in love with a young lady named Mary. Instead of being able to pursue this relationship with her at the age of 19, he was forced into joining a crew of a ship. This was a harsh life that he was called on to live. It had severe discipline. The food was horrible if there was any food to be eaten. And it was a terrible life for him to have to endure and to experience in this life. John Newton, this incredible man, became involved in the slave trade. He got moved to a ship at the age of 23 called the Greyhound. This particular ship was in terrible shape. And during a violent storm, it was about to come apart. It was taking on water. And John Newton was doing everything he could to keep the ship afloat. And in the process, he began to think about the state of his life. He had been so sinful in the way he had lived out his life. On one occasion, uh, he was in a party on the ship, and he fell overboard. I mean, the party was so wild, he fell overboard, and he almost drowned, almost lost his life. That's how the, the life that he lived, that's the kind of life that uh, Jonathan Newton was living but now on this ship, in the middle of this storm, he began to think about the things that his mother had taught him. He began to think about some of the truths that she had passed along to him. And he remembered that his mother had told him that God loves to show mercy even to people who feel they're beyond redemption. And in the middle of that storm, while that ship was coming apart, he began crying out to God for help. And God heard him. And he survived that storm. Over time, Newton's life was transformed he learned to pray. He found friends who helped him with his faith. He began to understand how to apply the truths of God to his life. And eventually, he gave up his role in the slave trade, and he stopped sailing for a living. And ultimately, he married that girl he loved, that girl named Mary. And he became the pastor of that small church I told you about. And that's where he became a writer. One of the songs that he wrote is that song that we love to sing. Saints and sinners alike like to sing the song Amazing Grace. And do you know what that song is? That's the song of a man who, re who remembers. He doesn't forget. You know? He didn't forget where he came from. He didn't forget the grace of God. He didn't forget God's goodness to him. He didn't forget the compassion of God on his life over and over. Compassionate to the place that he even saved him when he was on that ship the greyhound, and he thought it was going to go down. He sat down, and like that grateful Samaritan, he wrote out the words to this song that we sing to this day, words that cause us to stop and remember we're not entitled to anything. That we have anything is the gracious goodness of God himself. That we're saved is by the gracious goodness of God himself. That we will have rewards one day isn't because we deserve them. It's because of the gracious goodness of God himself. And if we have nothing else ever to come to us, we have the gracious goodness of God himself right now. That ought to fill our hearts to overflowing.